is so good to be with you. And it's so great that I don't have to speak in Spanish. <laughs> um, it's a lot easier uh, to speak in English, although it is getting easier to speak in Spanish. Um, we, this is actually the first congregation we have joined with in, in a whole year. In Mexico, mm, yeah. we are asked not to come to our church if you're over the age of 60. And I'm just and I, I couldn't lie that <laughs> I'm just barely over that. <laughs> but yeah, like it's very different. No children in church, no children in any stores, not even nursing babies. You leave your baby at home. Yeah. And with grandma or auntie or some, I mean, somebody will always be there to look after a baby. And so, yeah, it's very, very different. In some ways, they're super strict. In some ways, they're super relaxed. So, and, and our church, Gateway, has just started uh, up again, last two services, and we've been busy in here and we've been in other places. But we're still doing lots of stuff on Zoom. So we're, we're actually really into the technology. We don't know really what we're doing, <laughs> but, but we have other people send us the link and we just go on the link. So we're still doing pastoral care, still doing counseling. We're doing probably three mornings a week, all the like we haven't had holidays yet. So uh, we're going to go to Kenora for two days. That'll be our holidays, I think. But we have actually been blessed during this time. I know everybody's complaining and grumbling. I, I know because you're, because you're restricted in so many ways. But, you know, we have had so much more time to study the word, to minister to people. To, and in Mexico, we have continued to minister because everybody in Mexico has an outside patio or something. And so everything still continues outside in that patio, in the heat, in the rain, in the, I was going to say sleet and snow, but you wouldn't believe no. me about that. <laughs> so, yeah. So anyways, we're happy to be here and to see that this is the first yes. body that we've been with in, in physically. I mean, we've been on Zoom. Good looking so. body. Good too. looking people. A little bit pale, but good looking. <laughs> Well, this morning we wanted to um, do two things and combine them together. Uh, Harlan and Paul actually asked us to give a, a uh, kind of a upgrade of what we do in, in Mexico and, and our missions there and how that's uh, changed and adapted. Uh, and we, we're happy to do that, but we want to kind of integrate it into the message. So um, we're going to start with the message, and we've, we label this message, What is that, God, that you have in your hand? What is that you have in your hand? We, as we've been processing what's been going on in our lives and, and uh, our ministry and how things change and adjust and whatnot, um, the whole issue of, and people keep asking us, how much longer are you going to do this? And I get a little bit offended because I think that means I must be looking old and frail or something like that. But I, I think that it's a question that we've always answered, well, as long as God continues to call us to do it, we will do it. And we trust in him. Now as we get closer... And as with the whole COVID thing, um, it's becoming our reality. Like, yeah, how long are we going to be able to do this? Jan is asking God for 10 more years on the mission, on the mission field. And Five I'm years ago, I was saying 20 more years. So. And I'm, I'm going, I, I'm believing in Jan, <laughs> who believes in God. <laughs> so anyway... This morning what we want to do is start with um, an Old Testament scripture. It's a story in the book of Exodus, chapter 4. The first four verses is what we're going to look at. And we're not putting all these scriptures up. We just put some key ones up. Um, so just to give you a quick uh, review of the story is um, God is talking to Moses at the burning bush. Moses has spent many years now as a shepherd out in the desert. 
And one day he's walking along and he sees this bush kind of burning and a voice comes out of the bush and says, Moses, Moses. And Moses says, here I am. Like, whoever's speaking to me, I'm here. Well, the conversation goes a bit like this. This is the Taylor abbreviation. God is saying to Moses, I'm going to send you back to Egypt and back to Pharaoh so that you can lead the people of Israel, my people, out of Egypt, out of bondage. And Moses' reaction is to say, uh, I'm not sure I can do that, God. I think, uh, do, have you got the right person here? Maybe you made a mistake. Um, and so he begins to kind of debate with God and say, yeah, but I'm not a speaker. Yeah, but I'm not. Yeah, but number of things like that. And then God makes this very powerful statement. He says, what is that in your hand? Now think about this. Moses is out in the desert being what he's been doing for years, being a shepherd. And so his background, his experience, his education now has been being a shepherd. And God says, what have you got in your hand? And he looks and he goes, no, I just got this stick. But when you think of what that stick is, when you understand what a shepherd does, this is his tool, his instrument of his craft, right? It's like saying to a carpenter, what do you have in your hand? And he goes, it's a hammer, you idiot. Right? This you is the thing. No, you yeah. wouldn't call God an idiot, would you? <laughs> <laughs> but th that's, that's the kind of exchange that I hear going on between God and Moses. And God says, what do you got in your hand? And he says, this stick. But see, Moses is not, no, I'm sorry. Okay. Moses is not this spiritual giant. At this point, he's not. He's just an ordinary shepherd. And in fact, he, he really wasn't courageous at all. I mean, if God came to you, think about this. If God came to you and said, I want you to do something for me, would you make an excuse? Because that's really what Moses is doing, right? I'm not eloquent of speech. I'm slow thinker. I'm blah, blah, blah. I don't have the words. I don't have it. I can't stutter. I, I maybe stutter or stammer or whatever or can't think quickly enough. But God says, what's in your hand? He's not saying to Moses, what's in your mouth? He's not saying to Moses, how well do you think? He's not saying to Moses, what's your education? Are you a good leader? Can you do this? Can you do that? He's not saying that. He's saying, what's in your hand? And is he saying that to you today? You see, we might all want to be like Jen and Ina, and I think the other gentleman, is his name Chris? I heard him in the prayer that you were praying, Chris. Oh, there you are, yeah. So it would be kind of nice if you had that kind of gifting or that kind of talent, and you could get up and do that. It's a lot of work but you could get up and do that. But not all of us can do that. God does not expect you to do something that he has not equipped you to do. So he's saying, what's in your hand? And he's saying that to all of us. So do we make excuses like Moses? Like, hang on there, God. I, I don't think I can do that. I find that's my issue is I'm too quick to make an excuse. And God says, Doug, I want you to do this. Come on, Mom, come on. are you sure? I'm too old to do that. Don't you think I'm too old, God? And then he says, you know that Moses guy that I taught to many years ago? How long did he live? And they're like, oh, okay, I'll take that, yeah. <laughs> but it's not Moses about- Moses was probably 80 years old when this happened, yeah. right? He was 40 years in Pharaoh's court. He was 40 years on the backside of the desert. And then he was 40 years in the wilderness. 
She was probably 80 years old when God said, what's in your hand? Okay, let's shift into the New Testament now, Gospel of John, and uh, we're going to talk about a story from chapter 6. This is an interesting story. I'm sure most of us know it. It's the feeding of the 5,000. This is the only story in the Bible that is in all four Gospels. So if you're taking notes, it's in, in Matthew 14, 13 to 21. It's in Mark 6, 30 to 34. It's in Luke 9, 10 to 16, and it's in John 6. I found it really interesting as we got studying this to go through the four different Gospels and see the different perspectives on what happened. That really was amazing to me to say, you know, it wasn't a contradiction of the story. It was saying, okay, this is the way this gentleman saw it. This was the way this one saw it and what was important to him and so on and so forth, right? And so we, we've chosen to s focus on John. Um, I don't know for any particular reason. We just thought, hey, let's do John. So once again, a quick review of the story. Jesus um, has gone to get away from the crowd in the water. The crowd follows him. And so he gets out of the boat, I suppose, and um, began to teach the people. Now it says in all of the Gospels, it says that there were 5,000 men. So now you can imagine those men would probably have wives and children and whatever else with them. And Jesus sees that it's getting late and he has compassion on them. All the gospels say he has compassion on them. He has compassion on them because they're hungry, right? I mean, you'd be hungry too if you sat there and listened to Jesus, even if it was Jesus, you sat there all day and listened to him, right? Your, your bottom part might get sore and your tummy part would get empty. And so you're, you've got nothing to eat. They've got nothing to eat, apparently. And Jesus makes this statement to the disciples in John. He says, what are you going to feed them? In all the other Gospels, the disciples say, well, send them into the village to buy food or whatever. But this one, G Jesus is testing Philip. And he says, so what have you got to feed them? And Philip says, nothing. That's basically what he says. He says, well, we've got a small boy's lunch. It doesn't talk about the small boy in John, but it does in another gospel. We've got this boy's lunch, and it's four barley loaves, which are small loaves, five barley loaves, and two fish. Seven fish. That's a whole bunch. And what does Jesus say? He says, you tell them to sit down. So the disciples tell them to sit down. Like, did you ever think, why didn't Jesus just do this himself? Right? Why didn't he just go, there's the bread, there's the fish, there's the water. I mean, Jesus could have done that, right? He didn't even have to snap his fingers. He could have just spoken it, and it would have happened. But no, he wants to use his disciples. He could have set the people in Egypt free. He could have, he could have brought the Israelites out without Moses. He wanted to use Moses. He wanted to teach us something. When we read these, these things in the, in the scripture, he's teaching us all the time. God is teaching us, telling us, showing us how to live. So he says, sit them down one in groups of 50, and another one says in groups of hundreds and 50s. And then he says, give me the bread. He takes the bread and the two fish. He lifts them to heaven. Doesn't say that in John, but it, in all the other ones it does. He lifts them to heaven. He prays to the Father, and he gives thanks. Then he breaks them, and he breaks them and gives them to the disciples. Why didn't he just give them to the people? But he gives them to the 12 disciples, and he says to them, distribute it. And they start distributing. They start giving, and then it says, when the people had eaten their fill, this is super important, I think, this one statement, 
Jesus says, gather up the fragments. And some tradition, some translations say, gather up the leftovers. Some say fragments. And some, I like to say scraps. Gather up the scraps so that nothing is wasted. Nothing will be lost. You know what? Some of the people in this room feel like a fragment. Some of you feel like you're a leftover. Some of you feel like you're a scrap. Maybe because of your past. Maybe because of failures. Maybe because of some relationships in your life. Maybe because of some sin in your life. You feel like you're going to just lay there on the ground and not be useful for anything. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, gather up the fragments. Gather up the leftovers. Gather up the scraps so that nothing is wasted. So that nothing is lost. Jesus does not waste anything. If you've been pouring yourself out for some reason, if you've been giving out love, if you've been generous, if you've been doing this, and nobody's thanking you, guess what? Jesus doesn't waste anything. Jesus will not waste one person in his church, not one, no matter what your gifting, no matter what your education, no matter what your past, no matter what your current relationships are like. No matter if you're divorced or separated or whatever, no matter if you have no money, if you have money, Jesus will waste nothing. Is that not good news? That is good news. I find it interesting that when they gathered it up, they found 12 baskets. Now, I can play around with that number, but my mind immediately goes to 12 disciples. 12 disciples who were distributing the food to the 5,000 men and their wives and their children. How do I know that there were wives and children there? Well, I know there was one boy because it was his lunch that they started sharing, right? So I'm assuming there are probably others as well. What happened there? Well, the disciples took all this food and distributed it to the 5,000 plus people. And there they were, finished what they were supposed to do. And Jesus says, gather it up because we don't want to waste anything. And they gathered it up and there was a basket for each of them. This is my version of the story. I don't know that the Bible says this, but my mind goes there to say, you know what? When we serve God's purpose and we pour out and he gives us things to pour out to all our, the, the people he wants us to, we don't come up short ourselves. He provides for us and he's extremely generous in the way he provides. Okay, let's go back to the Old Testament again. Another story that maybe is not as familiar, but for some of you will be. It's in 2 Kings chapter 4, um, and it's the story about a lady, a widow, and some oil. And Elijah the prophet is involved in this. This woman, uh, her husband has died. He was a prophet as well. And so there's her and her two sons. And in those days, when a, a, a man died, quite often the family that was left had no source of income. That was the case with this woman and her two sons. They didn't have any source of income. And so they were just trying to get through day by day, and they were also in debt. 
the husband had borrowed money or whatever, and there were creditors. And so the creditors wanted their share of the money back or whatever it was they had given, and there was nothing there except the two sons. It was a common thing in that age, uh, in that culture, to sell your children into slavery to pay off a debt. Creditors could do that. And so the creditors were coming to do that. Elijah comes on that scene and he says to her, well, what have you got? What do you have? And she says, we only have this bottle of oil. Now, it doesn't say how big a container that is or how much oil, but it's a small bottle of oil. And very often the home would have a small bottle of oil which they would use for anointing, not for cooking purposes because it wasn't a lot, but they would use it for anointing, for healing, for other spiritual blessings. And she says, we've got this little bottle of oil. And so Elisha says, this is what you do. Go out to all the neighbors, all your friends, gather all of the containers that you can get, all of the vessels, all of the jars, and you bring them in. Go into your house with your two boys and take that little bottle of oil and start pouring. And so they do that. And they start pouring this little bottle of oil into these vessels, into these jars, and they go... And the oil keeps coming, and they go, and they go around, and they keep coming and keep coming. And she's pouring, and she says to the boys, give me another container. And they go, Mom, no more. They're all gone. We don't have any more. And she goes, oh, well, okay. And the oil stops. There's no more oil. The vessels are full. The containers are full. A miracle, right? long as there was an empty vessel to pour into there was wa- there was oil to pour into so what did she do she took the oil this is what Moses told or what Elijah told her to do and take the oil and sell it to pay the creditors and then the rest you see there here it it's leftovers again right the rest used for you and your sons to live God does not leave us short when we are doing what he puts in our face to do. When God gives us opportunities to use what's in our hand, right, to, to take the bread that we have, to pick up the scraps, and to pour into vessels, which we will say are people, we are never short. God looks after those who are called according to his purposes. Is that not true? That's Romans 8.28. For those who are called according to his purposes, God works everything for good. And aren't we blessed that we have opportunities to use what's in our hands, to use what's in our, our pantry, and to use what's in front of us to serve the purposes of God. See, Moses didn't think he had anything, right? The disciples didn't believe that there was enough to do the job, right? The widow didn't realize what God could do with such a little tiny bit of oil. We need to get the truth of that into our own lives. See, it doesn't matter what these people had. What really matters is what did God do with what the people had. The staff, right? Five little loaves and two fishes, a little bottle of oil. And what comes out of those? What did God do with those three things? What can God do 
with what we have. I like that. Infinite possibilities, right? Yeah. Just imagine what God can do. I think the problem is we think that we're strapped. I think the problem is that we think we're a leftover. I think the problem is that we think that we're nothing and that God, would God use me? Could God use me? God will use who he will use and he will always equip you and he will always give you opportunities. The trouble is we don't see the opportunities because we don't see what God has put into us. We don't see that God will use our past no matter how terrible it was. We don't see that God will use our mistakes. We don't see that God will use this from our family and that from our family. You know, we've been leaders in the church for, I'm trying to figure it out today, I think over 40 years. And God has done amazing things for us and for our family. Amazing things. I mean, when we started off in Mexico uh, almost 21 years ago, we didn't know if we had any support from anybody. We didn't. We we left the school, like Doug was a principal of a public school. I was a teacher in a public school. We came into the King's School. We, we looked after the King's School for 10 years. And it was like it was an amazing time where God took such a reduced salary that we had. I mean, we did have just like it was amazing. <laughs> the difference between what we were making there and what we were making in the public school was astounding. You know that we have been almost all over the world on God's dime. We have, well, and a few other people have helped us too, but, <laughs> but I mean, God has moved in their hearts to help us and the churches have helped us. I mean, we have, we have actually been all over the world. There are very few places we haven't been. We haven't been to China, but we've, we've, or India, but we've been to lots of other places in Europe, lots of other places in South America, in North America, in just Australia, New Zealand, we've been all over. And, and God has been so gracious to us but, you know, I felt like a leftover. I felt like a scrap. I gave up to stay at home with my kids. I gave up things. And I thought, you know, how can God use me? I'm not, you know, I, I was taking night courses. I was doing things like that. But I, I didn't have my degree. I didn't have a degree. I didn't have. And I thought, how can God use me? He, God can use Doug. He's got a master's degree. <laughs> and he went to Prague for, for counseling stuff. Like, not for his own counseling, but to be a counselor. Well, it was for his own counseling. <laughs> it, it helped our marriage greatly. <laughs> helped our marriage greatly. But, but you know, it's like, like, I'm not a leftover. You're not a leftover. You're not a scrap. You are a vessel of the Holy Spirit. Just think of that. The power of the Holy Spirit. The anointing of the Holy Spirit. The leading of the Holy Spirit. The teaching of the Holy Spirit. The comfort of the Holy Spirit. The guidance of the Holy Spirit. That's who you are. If you would really recognize who you are in Jesus, who he is, first of all, and who you are in him, you, we could do great exploits for God. And it's not about us. And it's not even about what's in our hands. It's not about what we have. It's about what he will do with what we have, even if it's a little bit. Philippians 4.19 says... And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. See, we need to get a hold of the truth and not listen to the lies. When that little voice says, Doug, you're too old, Who's speaking? Where's that voice coming from? When I say, I don't believe that, I believe God, who says, I will take you where I will take you. That's the truth, right? And so, even when we get feeling down, Jan and I have had ups and downs in 
20 years of being on the mission field. A number of times when I ended up in the hospital. A number of times when Jan sat in a hospital room for 29 and 30 days and 14 days while I was oblivious to all that was going on. You got on. to be high on the anesthetic and the pills. <laughs> <laughs> and when we got through that and came back to Canada and our children said, you're not going back to Mexico yet, are you? And I said, uh, yeah, we are. We told our children, yeah, we're going to leave you again and go. See, God did not say, no, it's time not to go. We need to respond to what God is saying. You need to listen and you need to obey. Right? What is that in your hand? Think about that one. Jesus wastes nothing. Start pouring into the vessels that he gives you. That might be your children. That might be your neighbors. That might be your parents. That might be somebody at work, somebody at school. You've got to start pouring before that oil starts to move. What we want to do now as we finish up is um, we want to show you PowerPoint, a slideshow um, that highlights our ministry over the last 20 years, um, starting from the first few years up until this past year, just to give you a visual of what God is doing in our lives and through us to others. Thanks, Russ. tell you that Russ has been to Mexico several times with us and serving with us there and a, a huge blessing and Ramona has been there as well and just uh, we love having him there I guess I better take yeah so this is um, this is on the outskirts of Mazatlan where we live now and when people say to us well you know Mexico is rich that's because they've gone to the tourist areas they've not gone to the areas that we go to we, these are the houses, and they're just made out of whatever. They have usually have no floors. They have, you know, it, when it goes down to five, five degrees, it's pretty cold. This is um, our pastor's daughter, Rebecca Whitley. She came out. Her and her husband have been out several times to help us. And here we're going around seeing, interviewing people, Doug and I, so that we can see where the King School can build a house. So we're picking places, and these are some of the houses that we visited. This isn't so good. This is one of our teams. And uh, Russ, you're not in this one, are you? No, but there's no. Pete Doffite over there. And this is one of our, our school teams. And this is the lady we were planting a church with. And this is one of the houses that we've just built. This is a family that we've known for many, many years. They're, they had their house built by Jenny and Dawson Craker's team. Their youth group came down one summer before we started working in Mazatlan. And... Uh, We've known these people for a long time. This is the last house we built. That's Erna and Jose Cruz and, and his dad, uh, Jose. And um, Jose, the father, is not a Christian at this point. And neither is Jose Cruz, this little boy. And the mother is. She came to a Bible study that we had. And Jose Cruz, the little boy, I think he's 12 there maybe, uh, he had epilepsy so badly that they wouldn't let him go to school after grade six because he would fall and he would hurt himself. He couldn't sleep alone. Uh, we bought them a bed, and he couldn't sleep in the bed alone. He had to be with his mom because his seizures were so violent that his mom had to be with him all the time. And so he had a lot of brain damage because of these seizures. He would have many, many a day. Like, we're not talking one once in a while. He would have six, ten of them a day. It would throw him, just, just like the boy in the, in the Bible, it would throw him down and into all kinds of places. So the King School is praying for him here. Now, the next slide. 
This is him at 16. He started going to a church because he wanted to learn to play guitar. His mom, like I said, was saved. He got saved, and he wanted to be baptized. And so they said, well, it's kind of dangerous because he has so many seizures, like we're going to put him under, but we'll do it anyways. They baptized him. He came up out of the water. This is just the spring after the King's School had prayed for him. He came up out of the water healed. I mean healed. He doesn't, he doesn't have to take medication. He has not had a seizure since. Yeah, he's still struggling to learn the guitar because there's so much damage from the past that he can't remember the chords. But once he gets them, he can play it for that service. But he's, and his dad has accepted Christ because of the signs and wonders that follow the preaching of the word. Isn't that amazing? I mean, if we only did that one thing, that would be sufficient, right? Yeah. And here's here's another team. That's the same. That's what? The same team. It's the same team that prayed for him. Yeah. This is a young man from Gateway. His name is David Schellenberg. And he's giving his testimony. And these testimonies, like these kids thought they had nothing. So many kids that I interviewed, because I interviewed them and I helped them put together their testimony to give in the church. And so many of them are like, I don't have anything, Mrs. T. I go, oh, you do? Didn't your mommy have a kidney transplant? Didn't she have three kids after they told her she couldn't have any kids? This is Fiona Peters. Didn't, you know, David, hasn't God brought you through so many things? Hasn't? And they go, oh, yeah, I guess so. See, you know what? They think they're scraps. They think they're leftovers. They think that they're fragments. The truth is, they are filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not about them. It's about what God will use with whatever's in your hand, with whatever is left over, and with whatever oil you have to offer. This is um, in Costa Dia, where we spent the first 10 years, a little village. When we went there, there was no internet, no telephone. Uh, very few people had wa running water. Inside bathrooms were laughed at, never even thought they would have that. Um, this now is a church uh, that has grown, and this is uh, a youth group. We visit them usually once a year now. Um, and this community, a church community, functions basically without missionaries. They now. do their own evangelism now. Um, the, the leadership people are all studying online, getting degrees <laughs> in all kinds of things. Um, they do their own outreach. They have a, an annual youth, um, they call a reto, which is a combination of fear factor and all those things. And it, it usually, like other than this year, and last year with COVID, it usually runs for a week. And as many as 200, 250 young people will come from the surrounding areas. That's as many that's in the town. That's as many as there are. Like these are small little town. villages. Russ has been there. And yeah. so um, this, this little church has grown and taken over doing what we went to do as missionaries. When we went there, we went there in the year 2000. And we didn't speak Spanish. These are my friends here. They're Wichol and Cora. This lady on the far end is Cora. The lady beside me is Wichol, and this lady's Wichol. So they have been friends for a long, long time. We, we lived there full-time, so we weren't there part-time before. So we lived there full-time for 10 years. And so we, we love those people. We loved living there. It was very rural, very, you know, cows in the street, watch where you step that kind of thing, pigs in the street, watch where you step. There they are praying for us. And this guy here with his hand on Doug's head is uh, the pastor. And uh, Russ helped to put the roof on his house, I think, Russ, yeah. right? Helped yeah. build his roof. So, so there they are praying for us. They always pray for us. We go every year to do a, um, a marriage conference as well and a leadership conference. So we love being there. This is uh, a, a ladies' conference in uh, Mazatlan. 
Uh, Jan speaks very regularly with ladies groups and she was the uh, main speaker and ladies came from all over that area of Mexico. There were uh, what, 300, 400 yeah. ladies? Um, and there they are in worship. Um, in, that, in that group, um, I asked them who would want to come. I, I spoke about the woman at the well with the jar, and I asked them um, who wanted to leave their jar at the well, who wanted to come forward, and, and, and that's what the woman did. I mean, most people don't realize that, but she left her jar, and she went to the village to tell everybody about Jesus. And so I asked at the end, and um, I think like over 100 people came forward. And people were weeping and laughing, and, and they were there for hours. And God just met them. And I, you know what? I didn't really have a lot to offer. I had this little bit of oil. That's all. Really, I didn't have a lot to offer. This is um, at a marriage retreat for YWAM staff. Um, and uh, the next slide shows uh, the, the couples that were there. Um, all, all of these couples right now are in leadership in YWAM or some other ministry uh, in different parts of the world. This is a group of marriage that we did from our Church of Mori Libertad. Uh, these are all leaders, couples in that church that are still involved in leadership there. Um, these are the group of elders and staff members of that church. We did uh, um, some mentoring of them for a two-year period uh, on leadership skills and whatnot. Uh, this is a Sunday morning preach. We pre uh, preach, preach <laughs> regularly once a month, often twice a month for that period of time when our pastor was away. This is uh, a YWAM DTS. Uh, some of those DTSs are seven, seven, eight, eighty people. Uh, we counted up with this group, I think, and it represented uh, eighteen different eighteen countries. different countries. Eighteen different languages. And no, so, eighteen different languages. When Jan says that we've been all over the world, uh, sometimes it's because we've sent somebody. <laughs> or taught somebody that was from there. Um, oh, look at this, these people. Do you recognize these people? So there's Russ and Ramona. And um, this is a little neighborhood Bible study. And normally only two people come, two women come. But because they knew that Doug and I were bringing somebody, a teacher, <laughs> and his wife. Very special people. Very special. Boy, like you get a teacher from Canada, they think, oh, man. We've got to have wisdom. Well, <laughs> I mean, we fool them lots. But <laughs> anyways, but you know what? He preached to this group, and I translated, right? Yeah, it's Terry's yeah. there, yeah. The girl, yeah. lady at the planting the church is there. And I think, like, I think four people, four, four of those ladies asked Christ into their hearts. One of them had done it before as well. So we just say three. But you know what? They're walking with God. Like Jose Cruz, you know, the young boy that had the epilepsy? His mom got saved in one of these things. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, this is a YWAM group again, a, a second level um, Y school. school, it's called Worship Intercession, Spiritual, Spiritual Warfare, yeah. and Evangelism. Um, this is another church that we visit a lot uh, in uh, neighboring city, Durango. Uh, we've done marriage conferences there. We've done parenting courses there. Um, we usually preach two or three times. Uh, I'll do a men's meeting, John do a ladies' meeting. They fill us up when we come there. We go there for a weekend, and it's just go, go, go. But it's so much fun and so rewarding, and they have the greatest food in Durango. Oh, gorditas. This is another group from Durango that actually a church that we didn't know about, but they heard about us. They came to Mazatlan and uh, had a weekend marriage retreat, and we were the keynote speakers. Um, they treated us like royalty, and it was just like an amazing kind of time. 
and uh, they're a very traditional church. You can see they're all people are all dressed up. Um, all in white. All in I don't know white, what that huh? signified, but they almost all came in white. Yeah. This is another uh, YWAM group. And once again, just a large number. One of our teachings is on um, Jesus and the cross. We do that for every teaching and we do for a whole so week. We, we do this one about freedom in Christ where they nail their sins to the cross. Uh, and people, young people are just set free by this exercise, and, and it's amazing to see the changes. This is a wedding we did in Durango. This young lady lived with us for almost three years. We almost always have somebody living with us that we can mentor. We had a guy with us for three years. We had this gal. We've had a couple of people from Venezuela. And so we, we're always trying to um, – very few of these people have had spiritual mothers and fathers or grandparents. So we fill that gap. This is in Guadalajara. Yep. Oh, no. This is in Guadalajara at last year. Oh, no. <laughs> Gone back there. There. Now, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, that was in Guadalajara. Am I doing this? I'm not doing this, am I right? <laughs> that was in Guadalajara at the Bible school. And uh, we were separated quite a ways away from them. We did five um, live streams, and, and we did the Bible school in person. And then they live streamed that. These are uh, two little boys, Hobbs boys. And I did all of their English language last year. And this is the Hobbs family. They have a hospitality home. Um, th her dad has a foundation. And he bought an incredible house in Mazatlan. And they've renovated it. And they host people constantly. They're constantly serving people, hosting people. They're, oh, there they are again. They're, this is our house. So they came every week. Okay, are we going to? That's them. That, He's yeah. from Hawaii. She's from Indiana. Nice clean background, yeah. Okay, are you going up? Uh, yeah. One I'm more? I'm not doing anything. Okay. Now. Oops. You're not doing it? <laughs> are you doing it well? Okay, so this is our neighborhood. <laughs> this is, we live, oh, this is me teaching. <laughs> I, I work, oh, there's the neighborhood again. There's the teaching again. <laughs> yeah, there goes the neighborhood. See, we started a foundation school. There's no Christian schools in Mazatlan at all. So we started, YWAM started a little one, and Doug and I trained the teachers because they're not trained teachers. So we trained the teachers, and then once a week we would meet with the teachers, and once a week I would go and do their English language and some of their Spanish. So there I'm reading stories to those little kids. And this is our neighborhood. This is what overlooks our house. Uh, Western Ramona, we now live across the street in Ramona's house. Not this Ramona. Not this Ramona, our, our friend, friend Ramona. Ramona. Um, and that's what Can you imagine hanging your clothes out there? Like that, that balcony is just hanging by a thread. <laughs> like it's scary. And, and sometimes, like they have kids that don't go to school, and daddy, there's no mommy sometimes, and there's sometimes no daddy. And the kids run across those weeds playing, throwing mm. balls back and forth. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, I mean, sometimes we call it Las Barrancas, like the hills, the hills. And so it's like sometimes it's just filled with garbage. And we have wild cats, right? When we left, I think there was about 30 of them. One of them laid, had their babies in my planter. But, yeah, so. So that our neighborhood is below that, and it's on a cul-de-sac. Um, and every year since we've been there, uh, we have tried to foster relationship with the neighbors. And we do... Um, a Christmas thing. Thank you, Russ. <laughs> 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 uh, and the uh, so these are these are the gifts and the treats that we put together and, and we distribute. These things also go out to the to the barrios to the colonials. Yeah, so not everything yeah. goes into our neighborhood. There's no little kids in our neighborhood. So these other things that you see that are children's gifts, they go outside of the neighborhood. So this year, uh, because of the COVID, it's been difficult to do a lot of the group things that you've seen us do. But we have been able to uh, have couples come into the house or singles come in. And we so we've been doing a lot of uh, mentoring, counseling, um, yeah, teaching with small groups in our own, in our own home. We have not been on to the YWAM base. We have not taught a YWAM class 
who have not been in our home church there. Um, we have not visited Cofidia. We have not visited Durango this past year. So we're looking forward. Well, we've had people from Durango come to us, and we've right. had people from Cofidia come to us. So we so have an open space, yeah. and we have a patio as well. So we're looking forward to this year going back and, and having it opened up a little more when we can get back to. What we've found over the years is that the most effective thing for us has been small groups where you have six, eight people and you have them for a concentrated period of time. What we were struggling with as uh, and other uh, ministry leaders were struggling with is like the big weekend conference and people go, oh, this is great. And then they go home and nothing happens. There's no, there's no change. And so, so our ministry has changed more from that conferencing kind of thing to the small groups and the mentorship role. We're really, really focusing on making disciples that will make disciples. I think that came with us hitting a certain age when we realized that we couldn't do everything and that we sooner or later we're not going to be around. And so that's why we get excited when we go back to Cofidia and see how that place is operating without us. And the people who are doing it are people that we have mentored, trained, taught before, and everywhere we are. So This is one of our favorite scriptures. It's wh what we um, use in our ministry, and I'll, I'll read it to you in Spanish. It's, Y todo lo que hagan en palabra o obra, háganlo en el nombre de Jesús, dando gracias al Padre por medio de él. So whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God through him. And that's really what we say, so that we can say, God, we're using what you have in our hands. I make muffins. I make bread. I can't eat it. I'm celiac, but I, I have celiac, but I, I make it. And I distribute it, and then you know, I, and I, I we buy groceries for a lady who has no husband and two little kids, and her husband's a drug addict. So every time I go buy groceries, we go to buy groceries. We buy extra tortillas, we buy extra tuna, we buy extra beans, we buy extra rice, and I have a basket, and that it all goes into that basket. So when she comes, usually twice a week, I have food to give her, which seems like a very little thing. But for her, it's not a little thing. Because she was talking to one of our YWAM people, and she said, oh, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them. They help me. I, this is my food. And sometimes they help pay my rent. So the people who ha have helped us and put into us, we're, we're spreading it, like the disciples. You know what? God has given other people income or prayer support or pastoral support to put into us and we're distributing it to others because that's what God is calling all of us to do. So, so that's it for us. Thank you for being so patient and, and you know, Carl, Peggy wanted to come here. <laughs>